Hello and welcome to another episode of Ranger Rendezvous. Today, Eric and I are going to be talking about physical fitness and preparation for Philmont. It's important that you start preparing physically for your trek as far in advance as you can. Yeah, especially important for advisors who may have a desk job and may not be playing sports like some of the youth are. A good level of fitness is a key component of having a enjoyable trek. Particularly advisors have trouble with the physical aspect of Philmont, but it's not uncommon for youth, usually if they are on the younger side, have difficulties as well. Lots of youth play sports, things like soccer, cross country, football, really any kind of physical activity is going to be a huge bonus when you hit the trail. It doesn't really matter what sport it is, uh, as long as it's some form of consistent physical activity. Yeah, I will certainly say that um, physical training of any sort is just going to be hugely beneficial to someone who is preparing for a trek at Philmont. And really that begins with starting out in your physical journey a, a year out potentially ahead of time, especially if you are more overweight and know that you are going to be needing to lose quite a bit of weight in order to get in shape and meet the height and weight requirements for Philmont. So obviously things like shakedown hikes, walking, and jogging are all going to be much more similar to what you would be doing at Philmont, but anything else, any, any sort of cardio activity, being able to be out and moving your body will greatly help you uh, start getting into shape and help starting to condition yourself for that physical exertion that you are going to be making. Yeah, the treks, depending on which one you choose, you're going to have a different mileage, but the treks tend to be between 5 to 10 miles per day. There are some itineraries that will go for layovers in which you get a day of rest so you don't have to hike anywhere, and there are some where you will have over 10-mile days. It really depends on what itinerary you're looking at, so you should include the physical fitness of the group into choosing an itinerary in addition to just the program and the locations that you're going to be visiting. Now, something to keep in mind for a lot of those layover days that are on treks, though, is that those are usually based around doing a major side hike, such as climbing Baldy Mountain up in the North Country. I know that there's often quite a few treks that will lay over at a camp like Bobien in the South Country to make a side hikes to Black Mountain. So it's, it's important to keep in mind that even though you do have a layover day where you will often be able to kind of rest, there are some important program elements that might also still be on your itinerary for those days. And you might even have to still make a side hike to go pick up food at another camp as well. Yeah, for example, when I went in 2010 as a participant, we had two layovers. And the first layover was at Ute Meadows, and that was the day that we climbed Baldy. So it ended up being a fairly long day with elevation and on top of the mileage. Uh, so it wasn't really much rest. The second one was at Whiteman Vega up in the Vivadol. And that was the day that we did our mountain biking, which was a lot easier than climbing Baldy, but it was still some kind of physical activity. It still ended up being more of a day of rest than climbing Baldy. So it really depends on what is scheduled for that day, and that's something that will be included in the itinerary guidebook. You can see that day, whatever, you're having a layover, and Baldy is listed as program. That means you're not going to be resting a whole lot. Something to also keep in mind is that even though you might only be expecting to hike maybe at most 10 miles in a day, um, you will be doing quite a bit of walking throughout the day on top of that hiking, whether that's just in camp in the morning, maybe you have to go and pick up some water from a stream or a well, 
that's on the other side of your camp that could add easily a half mile to your day just in the morning before you even get your packs on. And the same thing in the evening. You might have to be going to get water. Maybe some people have to go on a side hike to go pick up food from a commissary. Maybe you're walking around staff camps to different program areas. It can really depend, and all of that walking on top of your hiking does add up. Yeah, so another factor beyond pure mileage is the altitude. And this is something that you can't necessarily prepare for in the same way that you can prepare for, say, a five-mile run. It affects everybody differently, but in general, if you are in better physical condition, you will handle it better. For crews in more lower elevation, flatter areas, places like, say, Iowa, where I'm at now, you don't have a whole lot of hills that you can consistently get steep uphill for practice backpacking. A good alternative, though, are just regular old stairs. If you have a stadium that you have access to in the evenings or afternoons where you can take your crew and hike up and down repeatedly just to get that practice hiking with that pack uphill. If you don't have a stadium, office buildings. Here in Des Moines, we have a lot of steps in front of our capital, so that would be a great place to do it if you've got something similar. Anywhere we can get a lot of elevation change and get access to that consistently to keep training, because that is great preparation. It doesn't take a whole lot to walk on a perfectly flat trail with, you know, 30 pounds on your back for five miles. But once you start adding elevation, if you say those five miles, 30-pound pack, are now over 1,000, 2,000 feet of elevation gain, that is going to drastically change how much effort you're going to expend and how hard it's going to be. Beyond pure cardio, getting some kind of training with uphill. Stairs, hills, doesn't matter. It could be a stairmaster at a gym. But just building those muscles is really important. And like Matt mentioned, even if you are in an area that does have quite a bit of elevation, um, I'm personally from Kentucky. My troop fortunately had access to quite a bit of mountainous terrain, so we were able to train with quite a lot of elevation change before we went to Philmont. However, one thing that you can't really train for if you aren't from a state with higher altitudes is the altitude, which is something that takes a lot of people by surprise in their first few days uh, as they're getting acclimated. You will run out of breath quite a bit faster than you are used to, even if you are in good shape. At the beginning of each summer when I was on staff, that was always a bit of an adjustment on the ranger training hikes that we would do, where I came in in a decent shape. But those first few days of hiking, definitely going uphill especially, definitely take my breath away quite a bit faster than I was used to. Yeah, so things you can do to better prepare yourself for that change in altitude, the just thinner air that you're going to encounter once you get to New Mexico. Hydration is the biggest. Make sure you're drinking water. It doesn't need to be, you know, a liter an hour of hiking, which is what Philmont officially recommends, but make sure you're getting at least a gallon a day, if not more. More while you're exercising, you're going to want to be drinking even if you're just sitting around in camp. It's dry enough out there that you won't really notice yourself sweating until you start really exercising, but you will be sweating. You will be expending moisture just by opening your mouth and talking just because of how the dry the air is. So you're going to be losing a lot more water than you expect. And elevation has a number of effects on the body, and the adjustment process does require you to be well hydrated. If you're not well hydrated, if you're not eating well, you won't adjust as well, and you will leave Philmont 
you know, 12 days after arriving in almost the same state that you arrived if you're not drinking, not eating. Some people encounter a loss of appetite or loss of thirst, and it's important that if that is you, you still drink, you still eat, you may not necessarily feel like you want to eat a meal or you don't necessarily want to eat that first night of camp food because you're still not that hungry, you just had base camp food, you don't, you're not really ready for that freeze-dried stuff yet. But it's important that you do. It's important that you get those calories. It's important that you keep hydrated. On the flip side, you don't want to force yourself if you're feeling really sick, feel nauseous from the altitude. Eating a bunch of food or drinking a lot of water is not going to make you feel better. It's going to make it more likely that you're actually going to just vomit that all up, in which case you want to pace yourself. Sip water. Don't make yourself sick. Particularly, advisors will have difficulty sleeping the first couple nights as well. That's pretty common. That's just your body getting used to the elevation. Do your best to sleep. I know it's not something you can just choose to do, but the more rest you get, the more sleep you get, the better you will adjust. One thing that a lot of crews like to do if they do have the time is they'll fly into Colorado, for example, a few days early, and they'll spend a few days hiking around, going whitewater rafting and sightseeing, um, just to spend another few extra days at elevation before they even arrive at Philmont in order to already be a bit more acclimated than they would be otherwise. Now, obviously, that's not something that a lot of crews can do either due to financial or time restraints, especially with a lot of advisors if they're working. It's already a lot to ask them to take a little over two weeks off for a 12-day trek. But that is something to keep in mind as an option if you are able to make that work. So one thing that some people in the crew may be worried about are meeting the height and weight requirements. And generally, these are more focused on the weight side of things. If somebody is overweight and they're concerned that they're going to be over the weight limit for horses or too heavy for their height, it's important that you start training early, start doing some cardio or running or swimming, something that they will do. Honestly, the best exercise to prepare for Philmont is the exercise that you will actually do. Those restrictions are fairly firm. There's some wiggle room if somebody comes in and they're like star of the high school football team and just a really big guy. Maybe they exceed the maximum weight, but they are really physically fit. There is wiggle room there. But for an advisor who comes in, they're you know over the weight limit. They've been working a desk job for the past 20 years and haven't really been physically active. It's going to be a lot firmer. So for advisors, it's very important that you come prepared Either you are meeting the height and weight requirements or you have called the infirmary and figured out if it's something that there's a little bit of wiggle room for you or if you're uh, in shape enough that they think that you are ready for the trail. It's never a fun time to show up at Philmont after training and buying the gear, paying the fees, buying the ticket, flying all the way out there only to find out that you're not going to make the requirements and won't be allowed on the trail. So start training early, start training consistently, and make sure that you are meeting those requirements or everybody in your, your crew is meeting them because they are enforced and they are important. Another important aspect to this is high blood pressure. Typically, that's not something that the youth that go to Philmont have to worry about, but it is something that the infirmary will check advisors for. Um, as they're going through medical recheck. They will typically pull advisors to the side. They'll do 
just a blood pressure test just to make sure that they are doing okay. Um, and if it is high, they'll typically just have them lie down for a few minutes and just kind of relax, try to de-stress. Usually it's that lead advisor. They're all concerned. They've got all their paperwork. They're ready to go. Um, and they've already been going for a few days with working on coordinating travel and getting everyone to Philmont. And in those cases, usually their blood pressure does kind of come down after just a few minutes of lying on a couch and medical recheck. But in other cases, they do have to go through a bit more of an extensive clearance process, which can hold up the crew as they go through base camp check-in. Yeah, and another element of that high blood pressure a lot of advisors really enjoy coffee, and especially when you're traveling with a bunch of youth, it might be tempting to take a few more cups at breakfast than you normally do, and that is going to affect your blood pressure. If you're having a lot of coffee before you go to med recheck or even that day, the odds are it's going to be higher than normal. Uh, it's higher than normal already because you're traveling, because you're at elevation you're in a new environment. So if it's something where in the past you've been kind of on the higher end, last time you got your physical or you're higher than 20 over 80, maybe avoid coffee the day you're checking in. Once you hit the trail, you can go back to it. You can have your advisor's coffee, but it's something that will affect your blood pressure and it will go smoother if you skip that that day. One of those things where if you sit and you rest, you know, they'll let you in because they can try it again and you'll pass. But just to make the process go smoother, quicker, maybe avoid it right before you go. And one final note, just on the height and weight requirements, there is a 200-pound weight limit for horseback rides. I know that is something that there are some people that come in expecting to be able to ride horses, and that 200-pound limit is pretty firm. There is a bit of wiggle room, but that is up to the discretion of the wrangler the day of. So if you are maybe 205 or 210, and they have a big enough horse that is in a good riding condition, they might make an exception for you. But in most cases, they do try to keep to that 200-pound weight limit for the benefit of the horse, because those horses do get quite a bit of use throughout the course of the summer. Yeah, it's pretty much every day that they're doing a, a horse ride. So they are much firmer with that 200-pound limit for horses than they are with the upper limits for just going on the trail. I have heard them say, oh, you're 205 by the time you get to day eight, you're probably going to lose five pounds. That's the kind of wiggle room. And that goes for youth as much as adults. Whereas youth have a fair bit of wiggle room just getting on the trail. Horses, there's not really much. So plan accordingly for that. And if you can't do the horse rides, it's not the end of the world. You're just going to have to hang out at Clark's Fork or Bobian or uh, Ponyo while the, the rest of the crew goes. Another quick note on horse rides is generally the ranch department takes the 4th of July off and there are no horse rides on that day. I know some crews in the past have not been informed of that ahead of time, but it's something that's worth asking logistics about if your horse rides or your itinerary would be doing horse rides on the 4th of July, just something to be aware of that they may not be available. So looking beyond human weight, we have expected pack weight. So 40 to 50 pounds is pretty typical for a pack weight when you're leaving base camp, which keep in mind will include at least three to four days of food and four liters of water, along with all of your crew gear that you've picked up at Philmont. 
Now that is definitely a high number, certainly higher than what a lot of people are going to be used to carrying on their weekend trips, or especially if you're more in the ultralight vein, that is quite a load. So it's important to really start training and being able to carry that pack weight. I know we discussed in our last episode, learning how to pack a backpack. We talked a bit about that, but it is important to reiterate that it is something to keep in mind as you're training. Yeah, and then that weight is going to be usually the most you're going to carry at any point in the trek. The first day is usually the heaviest day. Uh, You can make that better, though, by just doing more shakedowns and learning what kind of personal gear do I actually need. A lot of crews will bring lots of little knickknacks and gadgets, and then by day four, they'll have used it once, if ever. So shakedowns are really important for deciding, do I need this? Do I not? Uh, can I leave this behind? And it's the best way to kind of weed through what you're going to be bringing and what you won't. The Philmont gear, we recommend you use that. It is heavier than most ultralight or even backpacking gear you will find at a gear store, REI or anything like that. But it is pretty durable and it is nice to be able to put 12 days of hardware on somebody else's gear rather than your own. So it's heavier than normal, but there are benefits to using it. Overall, fitness is one of the biggest things you can do to prepare for a trek. It's, I think, a bigger factor of how well your crew will do and how much you will get out of it than gear. If you have fairly cheap gear, you know, shoestring budget, but you're well prepared, I think you will come away from Philmont having a much better time than if you spade top dollar for the nicest stuff you could buy, but did no physical preparation. A big part of that, I think, is attitude. If you are used to working out, being physically fit, you are probably used to just feeling tired, your legs feeling heavy, uh, maybe your feet hurting a bit, being a bit sore, and just being okay with pushing through with that is a huge part of keeping a positive attitude on a long day at Philmont. Nice gear won't do that. Nice gear might make that easier, might make those long days lighter, but uh, they won't necessarily make them shorter. You're still going to have to cover those miles. You're still going to have to climb those mountains. And being in good shape, good cardio shape, strong enough legs, you know, strong enough arms to put on your backpack, strong enough core to be able to sit up and get back up if you fall over. All that is just going to come with preparation, physical preparation, and training for the trek. And the more you do, the better time you'll have. And ultimately, Philmont is a crew experience. You are only going to be hiking as fast as your slowest crew member can go. So it is important that the entire crew is physically fit. And obviously, you know, we're both pretty experienced. We've both hiked with quite a few crews. And it is typically those advisors that are a bit slower, either due to age or weight. It is important for everyone to really take their preparation seriously, to try to get into as best shape as they can, um, and be prepared for those long days when they do come up. Yeah, the crew training should not be, oh, I'll drop the kids off, they'll hike for a couple miles, or I'm an adult, I don't need to do that. It really is a crew activity, or should be a crew activity, because as Eric says, your crew will only be as fit as the least fit member. And that can be an advisor, that can be a scout, doesn't really matter. It just is going to be the pace that you hike at. And there's no voting people off the island. If somebody comes and they're not physically prepared, you can't just say, we're going to leave you behind the next staff camp. We're going to send you off the trail. That's not an option. You're a crew. They're a part of the crew. You don't get to vote them off. 
So it's important that you make sure that the whole crew is training, that everybody is doing what they can to prepare. I think it's best if you do training hikes as a crew, if you do maybe put on your packs after a troop meeting and walk for a couple miles just to get used to carrying that weight, just to make sure everybody's doing something. For my crew personally, the training preparation was putting on the packs. Basically during the troop meeting, we'd pack our stuff up, talk about what gear we were bringing, and then afterward we'd do a two to three mile hike with the packs on. We also did some weekend shakedown hikes with full packs, hiking between two different locations, just to get used to carrying stuff. And then we were encouraged, but we did not actually do it as a crew to go for jogs, just to get that cardio built up. Yeah, and just as a final point, I'm to circle back around to what we were talking about at the beginning. It's really just about being consistent and building that baseline fitness level as far out as you can. Start a year out if you can. Just trying to take those steps to be in the best physical shape as possible for your trek. You don't have to go all out right at the beginning. Just start out with maybe going for a couple mile walk every night around your neighborhood. Try to introduce jogging if you can, go for longer walks on the weekends, go for hikes with your pack on especially. If you're playing sports and you're in school, there's probably a good chance that you're already working out with with those teams a few times a week, and you'll probably be better off than some other people who don't have those opportunities. Whatever your situation is, you should be taking those active steps to be more active and setting yourself up for success on your track. I know there are a lot of couch to 5K running programs out there, and if you're looking for a place to start, I think that would be a great area to build up some cardio. A lot of them start out real easy, maybe walking with no running at all for the first few days. I think that would be a great place to look, and from there you can build into more distance or walking or even jogging with the backpack on. Like I said earlier, the best preparation, the best physical preparation you can do for Philmont is the preparation that you're actually going to do, the exercises you will actually do and do consistently. Be that swimming, uh, lifting, running, stairs, anything that you get outside, get moving, that will help you. All right, folks, that wraps it up for this episode of Ranger Rendezvous. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Um, We do appreciate it. We do apologize as well for kind of this extended gap that we've had, but our schedules are busy. Hopefully, we will put out another episode soon, so please stay tuned for that.